Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Episode 34 Family. Hi there, and a very warm welcome to the Dublin Story Slam podcast. Here we carefully select some personal true stories that are all recorded live on stage at the Sugar Club every month right here in Dublin. And today we're going to bring you three stories inspired by the theme family. So in this episode, you're going to hear a story about a family coming together after a car accident. A story about what it's like to be a triplet. And finally, you're going to hear a really amazing story about a granddaughter helping her grandmother reconnect with family. My name is Julian Clancy and I'm the producer of the Dublin Story Slam and this is the Dublin Story Slam podcast. So, families at the very best of times can be incredibly complicated and tricky. And sometimes even just telling each other what we really think of each other, that can be very, 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 very difficult. This is what Mairead Mara found out when the car she was driving was involved in an accident. Now, don't worry, Mairead was fine. But the real drama began after the accident. This is Mairead Mara. Uh, okay, so uh, again, everyone's given context and backstories to their families, which is a really good intro, so I'm going to copy. I am from Tipperary, and I live in a household with my mum and my dad, and I'm one of four siblings. My mum is... The two things she does is feed you too much and worry too much. She would worry about not having to worry about you and then worry about what she would worry about in the future. My dad then, on the other hand is the most helpless creator. Like, I genuinely think he would roast himself in the shower if she didn't set the water for him. Like, he's just... I love him. I love him. And he would be lost without her. Like, she is the head of the household, which he wouldn't agree with, but she absolutely is. So we've got kind of a a dynamic there. Similar to Devasa's granddad, my dad wouldn't exactly, you know be going around bragging to you that he loves you. And he's kind of like, I come home and I'm like, oh, we'll have a hug. He's like, just no, like, what is wrong with you? So the more he pulls away, the more I want him. It's maybe when you talk about in therapy, maybe this isn't for, for tonight. But anyway, he's, he's great crack. So anyway, so on with the story. So this story is set when I was 19. I was in my boyfriend at the Times, his house. I'd stayed over and had to be back the next day. I wasn't long insured on the car. It was my mum's car. And do you all remember being insured in your car for the first time? 
Like, I felt fabulous. I'd get into the car, I'd put on the massive sunglasses I'd gotten in pennies that summer. I'd put the radio on way too loud. I couldn't hear oncoming traffic. Um, I was wearing a dress that my sister had bought, had never worn, but my sister was in Africa at this time at a volunteer project. So she wasn't at home for me to ask permission to or tell me not to wear it. So it was a win-win for me. I got away with it. So I take off anyway. I wave goodbye to himself and the family and I'm heading off home. Now again, my mum big warrior. Her biggest fear, you know, was driving and minding herself and whoever else is on the road. And I don't know if anyone else's parents or mother in particular has said it to you, but in country roads in particular, my mum's always hammering into us. If you're going, if the road sign says 100 kilometres an hour or 80 kilometres an hour, it doesn't mean, it's not a challenge, like you don't have to do 80 kilometres an hour. And I was like, yeah, okay. But my mum is also a pioneer and she told me that drinking wasn't that much crack, so I kind of didn't believe her. (laughs) So I was driving home anyway, was not speeding, I will clarify, till the end of my days. I was not speeding, but I was absolutely doing 80 kilometres an hour on these country roads. I was about five, ten minutes from outside the town from home. Bit of bends, whatever. Had I been a more experienced driver, had I maybe been going 70 kilometres an hour instead of the 80 kilometres an hour, what happened next possibly wouldn't have happened. So I'm coming around the bend in my Peugeot 206, looking fabulous Uh, and this car is on the other side of the road I completely panic I pull the car to the left hand side to get out of the way and I mount the ditch I find myself fuck 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 pull myself hope I can curse can I okay sorry (laughs) pull myself back into the middle of the road I was like Jesus that was close obviously was stronger than I realised pull myself to the other side of the road and I mount the ditch on that side It's at this time, you can hear yourself in slow motion. You're like, no, 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 no. And I'm saying no faster and faster. The faster I'm saying no, with more force, I pull the road, the car back into the middle of the road. And with that, I hit the brake. Thank you. That was the best response. (laughs) What we all hopefully do know and what we should not do is when you're panicked and you're driving quite a little bit quicker than maybe you can handle is you should not hit the brake. I pull the car back into the middle of the road, I hit the brake and with that lose control and the car flips, lands on the roof and skids three, two, three hundred metres down the road. I can't remember what happened next. I remember seeing a white flash of the airbag, must have hit me in the face. I'm upside down. I remember unbuckling my belt. I don't remember hitting myself off the steering wheel because I come out with a, a cut lip and a, and a bruise on my face. I don't remember climbing out the passenger's window, but that was the only way that I could have gotten out of the car. And there's a scrape on my leg where I'm bleeding, a little cut. I worked in a pub and I hit myself off the dishwasher the week before. The scar from that leg is worse. <laughs> I absolutely made a steal. Whatever they're feeding me in Tipperary was really good. Uh, and I hop out and I run down the road and I'm running. And I stop and I turn around. The car's on the roof. There's no one else around. The other car has gone miles away. And you know, like when you're in a dream and you're really worried, you start pinching yourself and you're like, oh, I, yeah, I, I can't feel it, so I must be dreaming. Well, I could feel, I could feel the pain from pinching as well as realising, oh, fuck, like this is not a dream. I just crashed my mother's car. Like, what am I going to do? And again, when someone's in shock and you're trying to figure out what, what's going to happen next, three words, they just came to mind. No claims bonus. <laughs> now... For those of you that are not familiar with that term, my Irish mother, I know more about her no claims bonus 
than I did about that first year in college, right? The no claims bonus is because she was insured for so many years, had never claimed, her insurance was so low, it was fabulous. I think she was more proud of that than any of her four kids. I was like, I'm fucked, right? I was like, I need them to come and save me, but also I'm going to be killed. Like, I should have I just died. It's funny to say it now because I'm fine. But at the time I was like, oh Jesus, this is going to end, end badly. Anyway, right, car comes on the road, Someone from the town, I don't know them, but they obviously know my dad. He's a farmer, goes around selling hay and straw and whatever. Comes on me. You all right? I look at her. I was like, I don't think so. She was like, who can we call? Can we call someone to get you? I was like, yeah, yeah. Don't panic, don't panic. I was like, will you call my sister? She'll sort it. Just don't tell my mum. No problem. Where's your sister? She's in Africa. (laughs) And they were like, right, okay, we'll call her next. But is there anyone near where we are now? I was like, yeah. Don't call my mother, don't call my father. Call daddy. I was like, his name's PJ. Call him, that's fine. She rings him. How are you, PJ? <clears throat> Hello, this is PJ, yes? Thinking someone's going to buy hay. Oh, no, nothing was being bought today. <laughs> PJ, I'm with your daughter. I don't want you to panic. She's fine. She's totally fine. The car, the car's not fine, PJ. We kind of need you to come and get her. Where are you? That's grand, no bother. PJ, cool as a cucumber, puts down the phone. I imagine what he would have done next is get into his car, come and save his favourite daughter, I would like to say, but does not do that. He immediately rings my mother, do, right, does not say hello to her. Howie PJ, you coming home for lunch or what's the story? Marie's after being an accident, don't know what she's like, the car's wrote off, Daniel is going to come and get you, who's my older brother. Mammy, state of shock, I think the poor woman was worse off than I was and I'd crashed the car. Daniel pulls up, she hops in the jeep. Daniel with his friend Joe, who was working on the farm with Daddy that day. Joe and Mammy and Daniel arrive, and there's a bit of a slip road. Out this way is to another town, out this way is where I was. Mammy takes off the road down there. Daniel's shouting, she's not down there, like, come back. So she runs up, and we have this moment where I hop out of the car, and she's running, and she stops, and we look at each other. And it should, you know, be like this really nice, warm embrace. And I genuinely just was like, I'm so sorry, I fucking crashed your car, please don't aim me. And she was like, I obviously don't care, like it doesn't matter, are you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm fine, but the car, and I've no money, and I'm so sorry. She was like, oh my God, just shut up, as long as you're okay, that's all that matters. So anyway, we get the car off the road, I come home, I'm all fine, thank God. Bit of a bruise, bit of a cut, we're grand. I go to bed that night, wake up in the middle of the night, my mum and dad are awake, none of us can sleep. Daddy had gone out for a few pints to settle with the shock. Mammy, being a pioneer, just was worrying, <laughs> as she loves to do. And I came in, and Daddy called me, and I was like, you all right? And he was like, yeah, are you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm fine. And he pulled me in close, and he was like, you know, all joking, garden aside. I was like, what? He's like, you know, I do love you, and I'm happy nothing happened. I would have been lost without you. To which I went, <gasps> and I jumped back. And I was like, ma, he said he loved me, Right? And Daddy was like, I did no such thing. You have lost your mind. Mary, bring her back to the doctor. There's something seriously wrong. And that's it. (laughs) Maraid Mara there with a tale about how sometimes it can take something extraordinary to happen in our lives before we tell the people around us what we really think about them. And a huge thank you to Maraid for sharing her story. On to our next story. Now, this one comes from Will Fenwick. Now, Will is originally from Newcastle, but at the time he was living in Dublin. It's a story, I suppose, about siblings, about brothers and sisters. And again, you know, that complication of of, of telling each other what you really 
think of each other or what your relationship is really all about. So this is a story for anybody who has a sibling. For our listeners who may be listening overseas and may not be aware, Bohemians Football Club is a very, very popular team here in Dublin, uh, the commonly known as Bows. And uh, yeah, that's all you really need to know for the story. Okay, here's Will Fenwick. Hello, how you doing? Um, so this story uh, all starts with my sister being born. But uh, to tell a story about her being born, I have to tell a story about me being born. <laughs> and to tell that story, I have to tell a story about my older brother being born as well. Um, so it all started with me, mum and dad. <laughs> um, and they're trying to have a baby. Uh, but it wasn't going well for them. Um, and they tried and they tried and no luck. Uh, so uh, back then, uh, they, they were both English and uh, uh, at that time on the NHS, you could get one round of IVF. And so they, they did it. They got the, the round of IVF. And uh, no luck, nothing happened. They had a, a little bit of money saved up, enough for one more round of IVF. So that's what they did. They, uh, they paid for one more round of IVF. And uh, something took. And uh, my mum got pregnant. So uh, one, one day, uh, they go for the, the, the first scan. And uh, they're there, they're there. The, the nurse is, like, putting the jelly on and what have you. And uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, she says, uh, hold on, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to get a doctor here, you know. She goes out, uh, brings the doctor back in. The doctor, you know, puts uh, the, the machine on it and uh, has it on, on it on my mum's belly. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, he has a look too, and he looks at the monitor, and he says, uh, "Mr. and Mrs. Fennick, uh, congratulations! You're going to be the parents of triplets." <laughs> Quite shocked, both my parents, um, but uh, also very happy. You know, um, they wanted a family, and now they've got a whole family all in one go. <laughs> um, so it comes to uh, the big day. Um, 38 weeks, uh, which is a long time for triplets. Uh, my mum had to be induced. Um, and there's a, a staff of uh, 13 there. And uh, a shout-out to the midwife uh, who is training here. Um, <laughs> me and my brother, are, our, our middle names are after two of the midwives who delivered us, Simon and Paul. First story of my brother. He's born. One minute later, because it's a cesarean, I'm born. Another minute later, Vicky's born. IVF triplets can go in lots of different ways, but the way it did happen is there were two eggs that were fertilized, and me and my brother were identical. He looks exactly like this, just with a better haircut. <laughs> but what that meant is me and my brother were really, really close. We were best friends. Um, it's really hard to describe to a person how close, like you can be to someone who's identical to you. But imagine growing up and you've got the same family, you've got the same friends, you're living all the same experience, but also you're seeing the world through the same eyes because everybody would treat me the same way they treat him. So we were really close, you know, best friends all growing up. And whenever like we used to meet people or whatever, 
we didn't like a, a fuss being made about us being triplets. So we'd always say, you know, when people saw us together and say, oh, are you twins? We'd say, yeah, yeah, we're twins. And we did that all growing up. Um, and if somebody, you know, said, uh, oh, what about your sister Vicky? I was like, oh, yeah, we're triplets as well. Um, but that was us growing up and like you all as an audience here and now now hearing that as adults will probably worked out that my sister felt really left out that we were telling people that we were twins you know and one day like you know that all came up it was at a party I can't remember how it came out we said we're twins and then she was she heard or something and she was like no you're not twins why do you why do you keep telling people this you know it makes me feel so left out and it had never actually struck me, you know, that this is just my way of saying something so I could avoid a little bit of fuss. But of course, you know, we're, we're just writing it off, not, not talking about her at all. And then I realized, you know, I've got this amazing relationship with my brother that I just formed naturally because we are identical and we do see the world through the same eyes. But I've never tried to foster that same sort of relationship with my sister, you know. And from then on, I thought I have to try and build this relationship. It's not going to happen as easy as it would with me and my brother, but I still want it. So we started hanging out more, like uh, we moved out of our home by then, you know, we both had jobs. But I'd be visiting her, I'd be calling her more, and just trying to build that relationship so it could be like the relationship that I had with my brother. Now it's gone to the point where I'm living here, she's living back home. But uh, at the end of the month, actually, I'm moving back. I'm moving back to England. Um, and I really am going to miss Dublin, um, uh, especially the Bohemians. Um, big boat fan. Um, but one of the reasons why I want to move back is I thought sooner or later I'm going to meet a girl here, fall in love and want to settle down. And if I have kids here, those kids will they'll probably not see my brother or my sister's kids. They'll be cousins in a different country, you know? And to, you know, the two people I'm closest to in my life, like, if my kids didn't know their kids, that would just break my heart. So, yeah, at the end of the month, I'll be moving back, back home to Newcastle, you might have guessed. <laughs> um, I'll be, you know, back with the family, and uh, I can't wait, to be honest. Thank you. <laughs> That was Will Fenwick, who has since made it back home to Newcastle. And to be honest, we were quite relieved because Will, the previous month, had gotten up and told a story about missing flights at the airport. So, yeah, we were delighted to hear that he made it home um, safe and sound and ready to begin that next exciting chapter of his, his family's story. Now, we are going to take a quick ad break and then we're going to be back to talk about an idea and it might be of particular interest uh, if you are somebody who wants to tell their own personal story but hasn't a clue how. Join us after this break. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Back now. If you've been to a recent story slam here in Dublin, you'll know the kind of storytellers that we get on stage. So sometimes we get people who sign up in advance, but a lot of the time we will get people who sign up at the very, very last minute. And the funny thing is, is that for everybody who signs up at the last minute, I know there's a ton more people out there who have great personal stories in them, but maybe just don't really have a clue how to tell them, okay? So what we're going to do is we are looking at setting up a kind of online story club, I suppose, kind of like a book club. It's going to be small. It's going to be intimate, maybe like four to six people max. You have to be living in Ireland or Dublin. Okay, in order to be part of this. So unfortunately, uh, for our overseas listeners, this is not open for you. But for everybody else, basically, if you have a small, tiny nugget, a small spark of an idea for a story and you want to develop it and maybe, just maybe, tell it on stage at the Dublin Story Slam, then we would love to hear from you. So all you need to do is just have an idea for a story and then email us story at the Dublin Story Slam dot com. And then we'll basically meet up online, a group of us, and talk about your story and help you develop it. Um, don't worry, you don't automatically have to go share it on stage with us, but we would love if you did. So if you're interested in developing that story idea that you've always had lurking in the past. Maybe you're a writer, maybe you're a spoken word artist, maybe you're a comedian, maybe you are none of the above, but you do have a story worth sharing. We would love to hear from you. Story at the Dublin Storyslam.com. Just email us and you know what? We'll just take it from there. Okay, back to the stories. Now, our final story comes from a storyteller who is a seasoned veteran of the stage, Kerry Ward has won a few story slams. She's also a story Grand Slam champion. More about Grand Slam later on in the programme. But uh, Kerry got up and told this amazing story. And what made it even more sweeter is Kerry has since moved to Switzerland um, herself and her husband uh, to begin the next exciting new chapter of their lives together. And we're, she'll be sorely missed because she's been telling stories for a long time uh, with us. And so hopefully she won't be too much of a stranger. In this story, we get to meet Carrie's grandmother, who uh, has a bit of a penchant, shall we say, for the F-bomb. 
Okay, so if that offends you, we apologize in advance, but there's no way we're taking them out because that's how she speaks. So thanks a million to Kerry for telling us the story. And this is Kerry Ward. This isn't really my story. It's my grandmother's story. But because it has become part of my story and because my grandmother is 80 and has failing eyesight and lives in Kildare and wouldn't be fucking driving to Dublin to get up on a stage, are you joking? (laughs) I will tell the story on her behalf and I think she'll be happy about that. Um, When I was 12 and I was in my first year of secondary school, we did an ancestry project in history. Our history teacher asked us, to trace our family tree on one side of our family. And I went home and my mum told me to call my nan. So I got the landline, if there's anyone here from Gen Z, that's a phone that's stationary in your house that you share. Um, And I rang her and I said, Nanny, can you tell me all about your parents and your grandparents for my history project? And she said, I can't fucking help you, I was adopted. And I said, she were adopted. And she says, yeah, I have no fucking idea who my parents are. And I went, oh, okay. And I thought, that's great. She was adopted. And I went into school and obviously told everybody because I was 12. Did you know my nanny was adopted? Like, it was really fucking cool. Um, And she did tell me the story of her childhood. She had a really nice childhood. Um, Her parents really loved her. They couldn't have children of their own, so they adopted her. Um, and she was in a, an incredibly kind and caring family. But growing up, she never knew where she had come from. And she always felt that. And throughout my teenage years, there were occasional references. And around Christmas in particular, she found it particularly hard, lacking that feeling of knowing where she'd come from, having a family to share it with growing up. And... As I got older, I felt like maybe, you know, my grandparents, not particularly computer savvy, obviously, my parents, too busy to help. In 2016, my now husband and I moved back from uh, a year living in England. We both moved in with our parents. We were both bored as fuck. I spent a lot of my time, I was living in my parents' attic, sleeping on a single mattress. I spent a lot of my time just lying on the floor, (laughs) like, why am I here? Um... (laughs) But uh, I didn't have the money to rent anywhere, and nothing's changed. And uh, I thought, fuck it, you know what, I'm going to put all my time to good use, and I'm going to find her birth parents. And I completely threw myself into this with all of the... You know when you talk to that person or that family member who's really into amateur genealogy? And they're like, yeah, 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 I know all about... I thought I was the shit, like, I thought I knew everything. I was, like, on my computer Googling, like, church records, 1942, getting, like, zero results and being like, oh, well, I tried. Um, So for about a year, I tried and I tried and I tried and I couldn't find anything. I couldn't find any leads. I found one birth certificate for a woman called Mary Josephine Townsend. And I knew that was my grandmother's birth mother. That was the only piece of information I had to go on. My grandmother was born in Dublin in 1942, and this lady was from Tyrone. And I had no proof that that was her birth mother and nothing to link them. So occasionally I would go to visit my grandparents in Kildare, and my nan would say, well, do you know who my parents were yet? And I go, no, nanny, I'm sorry. She'd be like, oh, fucking typical. Um, like, like, I just wasn't putting the effort in. Um, so time passed. 
my husband and I finally moved out of our parents' attics and into our own apartment. Um, we got new jobs. Life was busy. I always had it in the back of my mind. Could it have been that woman? Could that be my great-grandmother? Could I have the key to the answer right in front of me? I got a new job, and in that job, working on school books, at one point I was working on uh, an article about genealogy. And writing it, I was thinking, I need to talk to a genealogist. And I found a genealogist and emailed her, and she said, you have to do a DNA test. Adoption wasn't legal in the 40s. Everybody who was adopted in the 40s was just handed over to another family. There was no paperwork. Nobody can help you. And a lot of people, particularly in the church, will cover up the truth. So I did a DNA test with 23andMe. I'm sure some of you have heard of it. Uh, I'm convinced it's called 23andMe because the closest relative you will find is a 23rd cousin, five times removed. I found absolutely nothing of any use to 23andMe. And I was really disheartened. And then I tried again. We did another DNA test. And can I just say, this is how dedicated I was. Doing a DNA test involved going to my granny's house and having her spit in a tube <laughs> in front of me. <laughs> Screwing up the tube and sending it off to get it tested. So I did a second DNA test with her in 2019, early 2019. I don't think any of us had any particular hopes. I went into work one morning and logged on, and you know how you do the rounds before you start work? You know, you go on Facebook, check your email, check news. You don't actually log on and start working straight away. I checked my email, and I had an email saying, your DNA test results are in. And I logged in, and I clicked on people I'm related to, and the first result was a first cousin. My grandmother's first cousin, and his name was Michael Townsend, and her mother's name was Mary Josephine Townsend. I emailed him and I was, I was in a state, like I was in work, supposed to be working, and I was just like pacing up and down the hall going, what the fuck do I do? Um, I emailed him and I said, I think your aunt is my great-grandmother. And he emailed me back and said, she is. We know that she had a baby and she gave him up. Here's a picture of her. And he sent me a picture and I rang my granny and I said, you need to sit down, but I know who your mother was. She was Mary Josephine Townsend from Tyrone. That birth certificate I'd found five years earlier, that was her. And what started was an email correspondence between myself and Michael Townsend, who is just one of the nicest people. He sent me pictures of her. He told me about her history. She was basically this amazing, free-spirited lady nobody could tie down. She was engaged like three times. Um, she didn't want to get married. Um, unfortunately, the way things were, she had two children out of uh, wedlock. She wanted to keep them both, and she did not have the option of keeping either of them. Both were given up for adoption, and so that we know that my grandmother has a brother, a half-brother out there somewhere. But <laughs> the really happy part of this story is Michael Townsend, my grandmother's cousin, welcomed my grandmother into his family so wholeheartedly. And in fact, one day he was... Uh, going to be near where my grandmother lives in Kildare for a wedding. And he said to me, we'll be on the way back on the Sunday, we'll call in on the Sunday and we'll meet her. And I told my grandmother, he'll call in on the Sunday. And she was all in a flap. She was buying new cushions. Like, <laughs> why? New cushions for the sofa. And telling me she was cleaning the place and clearing the place out. And on the Saturday, the day before he was supposed to call in, she rang me 
And she said, he fucking came a day early. I was wearing a tracksuit. <laughs> but they spent the whole day together talking and laughing. And my grandfather rang me that evening and he said, Kerry, he walked in and he was the image of her. And I suppose, I said I wouldn't get emotional. Uh, I suppose the point of this story being about milestones, it doesn't matter how old you are or how late it goes or how much you think the time has passed. There's no time that it's too late to reach that milestone. And my grandmother had seven children and she spent her entire life giving care to the people she loved. And now at the age of 80, she gets to have a family, she gets to belong, and she gets to feel like she's part of something. And I am absolutely honored that I got to help her reach that. Thank you. Carrie Ward there with a gorgeous story about how it's never too late to begin again, especially when it comes to a family relationship. So lovely, beautiful story. And I really would love uh, to meet her grandmother. I'd say she has got a ton of stories uh, that maybe she might share with us. Carrie, of course, is a Grand Slam champion. For those of you who are not familiar, uh, the Dublin Story Slam is a regular competition. We've got judges in the audience who choose an overall winner each night. And then at the end of the year, those eight, well, we choose eight winners who go on to take part in our Grand Slam. So the Dublin Story Grand Slam. Unfortunately, due to COVID and, you know, basically the whole world going to hell, we were unable to hold one for the nearly the last three years. But that is all going to change on December the 11th when we return to the Abbey Theatre, which is the national theatre here in Ireland. We've got eight storytellers who have been very, very patiently waiting to tell their stories in that time. So we really hope that you can join us and give them all your warm support. Tickets will be on sale uh, probably the first week of October. They'll happen through the website of the Abbey Theatre, okay? But we'll be letting everybody know via the mailing list. So the second those tickets go on sale. So if you want to be on that, make sure you're on the mailing list. It's sold out the last few times. I don't know what's going to happen this time around. There's a cost of living crisis, people. People have got lots of bills coming in, but hopefully we'll cram the house up because a full Abbey theatre filled with stories, it's just an incredible spectacle and wonderful experience, especially around Christmas time. Over to the DublinStorySlam.com and sign up to the mailing list there and we'll let you know when those tickets go on sale. We are back in the Sugar Club uh, on October 11th. The theme for the night is Fight or Flight. So if you have a story you'd like to share, just email us story at the DublinStorySlam.com or if you're not quite ready for the stage yet but you do have an idea you want to tease out with us, we'd love to hear from you for that online storytelling club. Uh, so again, story at the DublinStorySlam.com. That is it. Thanks so much for all our wonderful uh, storytellers, Mairead, Mara, Will Fenwick, Kerry Ward. We'll be back in a few weeks' time with some new stories for you uh, from the Dublin Story Slam. So thanks a million for listening. Talk to you soon. Bye. 
The Dublin Story Slam podcast is part of The Warren, the home of great Irish podcasts. As is my podcast, Meet Your Maker. You'll find loads of great shows at thewarren.ie. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 